0: Hello, hello, and welcome to Food Network Obsessed. This is the podcast where we dish on all things food with your favorite chefs, food influencers, and Food Network stars. I'm your host, Jamie Sire, and today we have the chef and owner of the popular Pig & Cow and Piggyback in New York City talking to us about what it means to take a step back and find your true passion. She is a chef, restaurateur, cookbook author and television personality, and she's bringing the heat on the season finale of Beat Bobby Flay Holiday Throwdown. It's Leah Cohen. (laughs) Leah, welcome to the podcast. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing great. The last time I saw you, we were eating some amazing Thai food in Queens. So I'm yes. excited to uh, reconnect here. And speaking of Southeastern Asian cuisine, you released a cookbook in 2020 and have said that a well-known Food Network star supported you in getting that ball rolling. Uh, what's the story there?
1: Yeah, so... um Bobby Flay is that (laughs)
0: well-known
1: celebrity chef. Um, And he was the one who kind of helped me, uh, guided me through the process. I knew that I wanted to make a cookbook, but I had no idea where to start. And so he took a meeting with me, as he does, and... He kind of, you know, he said, this is what you need to do. These are some people that I want to introduce you to and go from there. So he had his longtime assistant, Stephanie Banias. He was like, Stephanie, work with her, make this happen. And then she actually wound up being the co-author of the cookbook. Oh, wow. Yes, that's amazing. (laughs) Uh, how, How did
0: you and Bobby meet? You know, I'm not really
1: sure. I think I saw him at, um, I just like kept running into him in New York City, which is Mm. so weird because it's such a big and small place at the same time. Like I I remember seeing him at the farmer's market and I was like, yo, Bobby, like, and he turned around and he's like, hey, what's up? And then like a week later, I ran into him somewhere else. And then eventually I think someone told him, maybe it was Stephanie, um, because she was friends with my old publicist. I think she was like, you should go into Leah's restaurant. And he came into the restaurant and he loved the food. And then he kept coming back. And I think that's kind of how it all got started. But I do have the worst memory. So
0: (laughs) (laughs) I have the worst memory, too. And I feel like it's gotten worse as I've gotten older. So I feel like that tracks. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Well, the title of said cookbook is Lemongrass and Lime, Southeast Asian Cooking at Home. And really a reflection of your own roots and heritage, but your passion was not always focused on, on your mother's side. Can you talk to us a little bit about how your parents' different backgrounds kind of influenced your initial food experiences and interests?
1: Yeah. So while I was never growing up that into Filipino cuisine, we would always go and visit the Philippines. So I kind of like to think that I was training my brain and my palate at a very young age with those flavors. I just didn't know it at the time that I was going (laughs) to use it like in my 20s, 30s and 40s. But, you know, before like back in the day, no one was really cooking that food professionally. Mm -hmm. Um, Everyone was sticking to like Italian, French, those kind of classic cuisines. And I didn't know that I could venture out and do that. So so I studied Italian food. Um, and I think a lot of that was just because we didn't know any better. Right. We didn't know before David Chang. No one really was like, yes, I'm going to do like crazy Asian food and it's going to be this huge phenomenon. And um, so, yeah, um, I grew up eating a lot of Jewish food, um, Middle East, Middle Eastern, European. And then I would visit I actually didn't visit Israel until I was in my 30s, but I would go and visit like Italy, France a lot um, growing up. And yeah, I kind of shift gears. I guess I was in my 20s and I was like, why am I cooking Italian food as much as I love it? I don't have this like really strong connection to it. So I kind of flipped the script and started doing Asian food.
0: Yeah. I mean, along those lines, I mean, you enrolled in the Culinary Institute and moved to Italy to get some of that experience that you thought your path was kind of headed on Michelin star experiences and the like. At what point did you decide that like, I love this type of food, but this is not my passion?
1: I think it was. So after Top Chef, I actually during Top Chef, when I was filming um, the show, I was working for Amber I was her sous chef at this restaurant called Centro Vinoteca. And um, I love the food that we did there. And then when I went on Top Chef, I realized I have no identity as a chef. I have no culinary voice. I don't know what food speaks to me and represents me. And it made me really question everything that I was doing. And then when I got back after the show, uh, I I went back to Centro Vinoteca and had left. And I took over as a chef and I was trying to kind of put my own food on the menu. And I really felt lost. And I was like, you know what? I'm just going to like leave New York and move to Asia. And that's kind (laughs) of what I did.
0: (laughs) I mean, so you pack up a suitcase, you move to Southeast Asia. What were you hoping to find? And what did you actually find there? So I originally thought that I wanted to go to Southeast Asia and
1: cook Thai and then learn as much Thai f- about Thai food as I could and come back and open a Thai restaurant. Um, I didn't realize that you need a visa um, and your visa can expire and that if you don't have a visa um, that you need to get in advance, you can only stay in the country for 30 days. So, um, I was in, I actually started in Hong Kong, but, um, but then I went to Thailand and then, um, after those 30 days, I was like, okay, I need to go somewhere else. So people were like, oh, well, you can do a visa run and you can just go to Laos, cross the border and come back. And I was like, well, why would I do that? Why wouldn't I just stay in Laos and figure out, you know, what, the food in Laos was like or figure out what the food in Vietnam or Malaysia. And so that's kind of how like that journey because I had no real um, schedule. I had no real idea plan what I was going to do. I was just like, let's go see who will hire me for free. Um so, yeah, that's kind of how it started. And then I realized like, hey, maybe I don't want to focus solely on South, um, on Thai food. I should do Southeast Asian food because there's so much amazing food out there. And there's a lot of similarities and, of course, differences. But the ingredients are there's a lot of crossover. And I didn't know of anyone who kind of did not fusion, because I don't want to say that pig and cow is fusion, but have all these Southeast
0: Asian cuisines under one roof. How long were you there and what? made you kind of continue this journey of, of kind of hopping to these different countries as as the this journey was unfolding? I actually didn't want to come back.
1: <laughs> if I'm being <laughs> honest, I loved it. I mean, I love backpacking or whatever. I didn't have a backpack. It was a suitcase, but I love traveling. And so I, I was gone for a year. And originally I was my plan was just to do six months and then I was going to go to Spain. I wanted to. But then that got Thrown out the window when I was like, oh, my God, there's just so many countries that I want to like visit. And for me, Thailand was always like my hub. It was like where I would go back to. I also was lucky enough to um, find someone who like gave me a flat for free and I could stay in his free flat in Bangkok. Yeah. So I could like leave stuff there. So it was really it was really cool. And I just I just kind of fell in love with that part of the world. It's interesting going there, you know, constantly growing up, um, going to that part of the world. I didn't realize it, it's just different to see that through, like, you know, when you're by yourself and you mm-hmm. don't have anyone else to rely on and you're just kind of like figuring things out. I, yeah. But like I said, I really didn't want to get back, but my parents were like, okay, we're done
0: paying for you.
1: <laughs> you <laughs> need to come home and work. And I was like, fair enough. Fair uh, enough.
0: <laughs> what, uh, I mean, do you, I'm sure there's plenty of stories like this, but like, is there a specific, you know, dish or bite that you had during that time that you still think about to this day?
1: Yeah. So um, while I was out there, my brother came and visited me twice um, and we went to Chiang Mai and we had khao Soy for the first time. Mm. And I became obsessed with it and I ate it like every day. And I tell people this, like I ate it so much that like I smelled like curry, like I smelled like (laughs) cow soy because I would like sweat it out because it's so hot in Thailand. And I don't know. It was it. It's not just because the cow soy is so good um, and it's such an amazing dish. I was just like everything about that experience. That first time I had it was amazing. It was kind of during Songkran, which is uh, Thai New Year. And it's just such a magical time to be in Thailand. It's basically like a water fight for like a couple of days and people just throw water on you like little kids. I mean, it's just this crazy experience. If you've never been to Thailand, you should probably go during Songkran because it's amazing.
0: I agree with you on the Khao Soi. I I only got to spend, you know, a couple of days in Chiang Mai when I was in Thailand, but I, I still remember, you know, like I got it from a street vendor and this woman, you know, like, you know, constructing this beautiful bowl of, very spicy um, curry. If you can explain for people that have never had an opportunity to try it, what is cow soy? So cow soy is a Thai noodle
1: dish. And usually it's with uh, braised meat. I like it with chicken, but that you can do it with beef. I mean, you can do it with any type of protein. Um, it's usually on the bone if you do it with chicken. And then the way they serve it, it on the it. So it's egg noodles that are kind of cooked or boiled. And then you have the curry, the broth, this really rich, spicy um, curry. And then on the side, they usually give like fermented mustard greens, chopped red onions or shallots, uh, lime juice, and then you have these crispy fried noodles, the same noodles that were boiled or blanched. And so there's just like so much texture and so much flavor going on. And to me, it's like the epitome of what? Thai food is. It's balanced. It's sweet. It's spicy. It's acidic. I mean, it's just everything that you want to eat or I want to eat. And I just completely fell in love with that dish. And actually, that was one of the first dishes I knew that we had to put on the menu at Pig & Cow. And it's been 10 years and we have not changed that recipe since day one. So.
0: Yeah, I remember I actually ate a pig and cow uh, several years ago, and I was so excited to see that on the menu because especially at that time, I don't, like I feel like it's a little bit more common now if you go to Thai restaurants, but it wasn't. I, I don't feel like that dish was as well represented over here in the states as as you it get was when not. you are. Yeah, yeah. And I, so- I
1: like to think that I had uh, something to do with why so
0: many people have cow soy in their menu now. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're gonna give you credit for that for sure. And sure. <laughs> obviously, you know all of these diverse food experiences played a huge part in opening that restaurant in the Lower East Side a decade ago. Pig and cow. How much did you wrestle with which cuisines to highlight and showcase in that restaurant? For me, I knew I wanted to do Thai food because it still is my
1: favorite cuisine to cook and eat. And um, of course, I come from my mom comes from the Philippines and I have a strong connection to that. So those are the two most predominant cuisines in pig and cow um but then it really depends based off of like my travels if i go to like vietnam um one year for an r d trip you'll see like a a lot more vietnamese dishes on the menu and then if i go to malaysia the next year uh for r d then but you know the same thing happens so but it is i like to have it be a good mix but it is predominantly um thai and filipino
0: An R&D trip. Like, what does that entail exactly? Girl, I wish I could (laughs) go on one of those now. That was like three years
1: ago was the last time I went because of COVID. And I'm actually going, hopefully, to the Philippines in January. And I'm stopping in Thailand for like as long as my mom can take the kids (laughs) and I can go with just my husband to Thailand. So probably like four or five days, but we before COVID and before kids, my husband who, um, who owns a restaurant with me, we would go for like two and a half to three weeks to either one or two countries in Southeast Asia. And we would just immerse ourselves in the culture and just get inspired by like the art, the food, everything, um, the drinks and yeah. And then we would
0: come back and then it would be like a Vietnamese restaurant for a year. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. Um, and, and you, you obviously mentioned that, you know, Filipino food is, is such a a big part of the menu there. Can you kind of talk a a little bit about some of like the cornerstones of that cuisine and, and how it is different from some of the other Southeastern Asian cuisines that you highlight?
1: Yeah, I think one of the reasons why Thai and Filipino food go so well together under one roof is because Thai is very spicy and very herbaceous and acidic, where Filipino food is more heavy. Um, it is acidic because they do love their vinegar, but it's not spicy. And if it is spicy, it's usually spicy from like a black pepper, uh, not like a chili mm. kind of spicy. It's very meat heavy. Um Filipinos love their pork, but it's a lot of vinegar, soy sauce, garlic, black pepper, bay leaves. I literally just said everything that's in adobo. Um, <laughs> and, but that's like kind of the food. You know what I mean? It, it is definitely on the heavier side, which is why um,
0: I like to complement it with some lighter options. And I love that you've been, you know, highlighting so many of those flavors and dishes on your Instagram lately as well. What's different about creating recipes for social media versus the restaurant?
1: Well, for for me, actually, to be honest, I was always kind of scared to put myself out there and do as much Filipino food on social because I kind of just get shit on (laughs) (laughs) Uh, because people don't know that I'm Filipino. If you look at me and they're like, what? like, why do you have enough, like, what gives you the right to to show people how to cook Filipino food? And I'm like, well, actually, I'm half Filipino. And I, you know, I really do try to just promote the culture and the cuisine. But that being said, as of lately, I've really been like, I don't care what people say. And it's been refreshing and people have really been into it. So I'm happy that I kind of got out of my own head and got over the haters um, because there are definitely a lot of them out there. (laughs) But I think for creating food on social, I try to make it as easy as possible because I know that a lot of people want quick, easy recipes that don't seem intimidating because I, I want people to want to, to recreate those dishes. I want people to, to want to cook those dishes at home and learn more where at the restaurant, I can make them a little bit more, uh, in depth and, mm-hmm. you know, people aren't trying to necessarily recreate the dishes at, at the restaurant.
0: Right. That said, I mean, the the restaurant is is such a fun atmosphere. It's very casual. You know, there's loud hip hop. It's it's just like a fun place to be and to have dinner. Why was that kind of casual style the right fit for you in this concept? Well, for me, before I used to do fine dining and I knew
1: that that was not the route that I wanted to go. Um, it's just not who I am. I'm very like I'm very low key, I think. And I'm kind of like a tomboy. So I just I don't know. I And I love old school hip hop. Um, you know, I'm from the. I was born in the 80s. I just aged myself. So, yeah, like that was the kind of music that I grew up. And, you know, when I found the location um, in the Lower East Side, I figured, you know, that's what fits in in LES. It's Mm -hmm. I mean, now there's some fine dining places, but I mean, it's just Lower East Side is the Lower East Side. It's a little rough around the edges, just like me. So
0: (laughs) (laughs) and and you have a second restaurant now, Piggyback, you opened that in 2020. What were you looking to explore with the the second venture that was different from Pig and Cow?
1: Yeah. So as I mentioned, my husband and I uh, would go on these R&D trips and we would stop sometimes like in Hong Kong or in China, Japan, Korea, all those places. And those are not Southeast Asian countries, but they have amazing, delicious food that I was inspired by when I ate there and visited. So I wanted a place where I could put all of those ideas. And that's kind of where piggyback came from. What's your favorite thing on the menu there? Uh... I like our lamb rendang, which is actually Southeast Asian.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You you still you still go back to the Southeast Asian. (laughs) Uh, That's amazing. Well, as you've mentioned, you own and operate both of these restaurants with your husband, Ben. In Mm -hmm. fact, you and I first met on the the set of Iron Chef Showdown and Ben was your sous chef, which was like a fun little wrinkle um, to add to that story. How do you guys balance that work relationship with your life outside of the restaurants? Um, so the only time we ever really fight is about
1: work, which is funny, (laughs) uh, because you'd think that we would like probably want to murder each other, uh, cause we're together all the time. And now we have two kids, which kids makes it a lot harder, (laughs) but yeah, I mean, we just, I guess we like spending time with each other because we are with each other all the time. And we try to, we really try at home not to talk about work, which is very, very hard because Mm -hmm. everything kind of intersects with each other um, and it all becomes like blurry. But we really do um, try not. And if we fight at work, we try not to take it home with us. Mm. But, you know, the good thing is that if since we have kids and one of us needs to be there and one of us needs to be home, we really have like a good partnership where I'm like, okay, I you know, I went in like I stayed late last night. Um, you have to say, you know what I mean? So Mm -hmm. like, or like, I've been at home with the kids every night this week, like, I want to go into work tonight.
0: (laughs) (laughs) No, I think that's like a good, like healthy way to approach it. I mean, do you guys when it comes to the menu? are is it totally like a collaborative effort between the two of you? Oh, no, he's not. No, he has nothing to do with the menu.
1: I mean, he he is really good at like helping me like refine things. But Mm -hmm. when it comes to um, actually like creating a recipe, he has nothing to do with that. He (laughs) honestly doesn't even cook that much at home. He started out as my sous chef. But now he does all of like the front of house operations side. He switched um, he switched teams like I want to say like five years ago. So he pretends like he doesn't know how to cook anymore because he doesn't (laughs) want to make dinner. So it's really annoying. I'm like, dude, you
0: started as my sous chef. I know you know how to cook. (laughs) It's all right. You need you need the front of house as as well. It's very important. Um, I mean, yeah, you are obviously so passionate about what you do. What advice would you give to someone who's really trying to find, you know, that spark and passion in their career? I mean, I
1: would say, first of all, I know it might be hard, but like, don't care about the money (laughs) because first of all, we don't make any (laughs) like uh, restaurant workers. Like, I mean, there's very little money to be made there, but really try to go after like what you're passionate about, um, And, you know, for me, it was packing a bag and moving to Southeast Asia. Of course, I had the um, financial um, backing of my parents, which was really nice to allow me to do such a a, a great trip like that. But um, you don't have to move to a different country in order to gain um, information. Just be smart about which restaurants you pick. And like for me personally, while I did care so much about, you know, fine dining restaurants and I wanted to work in a Michelin star restaurant and I wanted to work for Daniel home at um, EMP, like that's great training for you as um, like technique wise. Mm -hmm. But when it comes to learning about like your palate and your food, I I don't think any of that matters because I would rather eat at uh, Zob Zob in Queens any day over eating (laughs) at EMP before it became vegan.
0: When we come back, Leah tells us about competing on Beat Bobby Flay Holiday Throwdown and shares what the holidays look like in her home. You've gotten to spend some more time with our friend Bobby making an appearance on the finale of Beat Bobby is it the finale? It is the finale. It's Beat Bobby Flay Holiday Throwdown. Um, Obviously, we don't want you to give away any spoilers, but can you just share a little bit about that experience? Yeah, so um, this is the second time I've
1: competed on Beat Bobby Flay. I am not a big fan of competition. Uh, I, for some reason, always get roped into doing it, but I really don't enjoy it. Uh, And I had just given birth to my second child. I think it was like two or three months post baby. And one of the producers like Bobby really wants you to compete on holiday. It's not, you know it'll, it'll be fun. And I was like, okay, if Bobby wants me to do it, I'll do it. Because if Bobby wants you to do anything, you always say yes, of course, Um, because it's Bobby and he's super supportive of everything I do. Um, So I have to, you know, return the favor. So yeah, I competed on holiday and I was just like, I was not very excited. Um, but <laughs> it was it was a it was actually really fun. And after we finished, I, I said, you know what, I I had I had a good time and I wasn't expecting to have a good time. So, <laughs> I'm happy that um that I got roped into doing it for sure.
0: Uh I think it's funny that you that you hate doing the the cooking competitions because you do a lot. I mean, you do a decent amount of them. You're also really good at it. Um when you are competing on a show, how, you know, what best describes your culinary approach and and the edge you bring? Um you know, it's really weird
1: because I, for whatever reason, I'm like known for Southeast Asian Asian cuisine, but like I don't cook that food when I feel like my brain just like kind of just goes blank. And I go, I re- revert back to like my 20 year old chef and I'm like, oh, let's cook like Italian food or something like that, which is
0: so weird. I really need to train myself not to do that. You've competed on Be Bobby Flay before. You've also been a judge on the show. hmm. What makes Bobby so good in this type of atmosphere. Oh my God. He like thrives off of competition.
1: He does. And it's funny <laughs> because there are people who, you know, you can be as talented and an amazing chef, but you can also be terrible at competition. And he is not terrible at competition. He like really feeds off of it. And, um, and he's just insane. Like he, the, he is so fast and he is so skilled and it's just like, he's just like a well-oiled machine and he's done it for so long now that it like nothing he's not intimidated by anything he you know what i mean like he he doesn't know how to cook something he'll like fake it till he makes it you know what i mean like he just and he says it's he's very he's very confident and i think that's really important when it comes to um to cooking competitions. I think that's one of the reasons why I'm not as good as I'd like to be because I lack confidence where that's concerned. Um, <laughs> but yeah, he's just, I mean, and he, I mean, he knows his flavors. And of course, I mean, he's just, he's been doing it for so mm-hmm. long. He's like, a, he's a beast. I yeah. mean, it's just, and it's
0: amazing to see. It really is. I mean, people ask all the time, like, is it rigged? Is like, is he really that good? I'm like, yeah, he's really that good. It's yeah. it's, it's it's actually kind of annoying. But <laughs> <And> he's like <laughs> that good. Like he just like not even like trying or breaking a sweat. And he's just, yeah. you know, winning all the time. What What did you think of kind of the the holiday twist that was added for this this special? Because, you know, we haven't seen that before with Bebop BeFly. We've seen it on other food networks shows. Um, but I think it's, I think it was like a fun, you know, iteration of this show. What, what did you think?
1: I mean, so when I was being coerced into competing, (laughs) (laughs) um, they were, you know, the producers telling me like, Oh, it's going to be really cool. You know, like if, even if you don't make it past the first round, then you'll be, um, you know, you'll be there judging or hosting with one of the other judges. And then like, you could, um, potentially compete, Cooking, You could cook with Bobby or you could cook against Bobby. And I was like, I didn't know which I was more nervous cooking with Bobby or cooking against Bobby because <laughs> both things make me nervous. Um, but I thought that was really cool because I've never, you know, I've never cooked with Bobby before. So I was like, oh, well, that would be fun if I could get to cook with Bobby mm-hmm. or if I could get to to beat Bobby, that would be cool, too. So I think the whole it's it's holiday and it's all about having fun and joy. And I thought that it really made the competition less like cutthroat and more mm-hmm. like we're all here having a good time. And, you know, we're, we're spending some, um, some, some joy with Bobby. And hopefully, taking him down.
0: <laughs> <laughs> always. That's that's always the end goal. At the at the end of the day, you still want to take him down. One last holiday question: As we are, you know, obviously headed into the holiday season, and your family being influenced by so many diverse cultures, what do holiday meals tend to look like in your home? Um.
1: So, honestly, like last year, my Thanksgiving, I did like a Puerto Rican um, mm. inspired meal. Um, one of my friends, she, uh, she's actually the host of the great American recipe. And I was like, Hey, I think I want to do like a Puerto Rican Thanksgiving. So she gave me all her recipes. And so we did that. So I kind of like to do themed, uh, themed holidays, Mm -hmm. uh, not necessarily the food that I cook all the time because I make it year round. So I like to kind of go out of, um, my wheelhouse Mm -hmm. and it also just allows me to like learn other cuisines. An experiment, but you know, during like Hanukkah and stuff, I'll do the traditional like latkes. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, um, and for for Christmas, I will do it. There always has to be like a pineapple glazed ham,
0: okay. Um, and then and rice and then other things aside from that. Aside from that, <laughs> no, uh, that sounds nice. I think actually, I think Bobby does a similar thing for Thanksgiving. Kind of like picks a theme and and does something different um, every year. So that's always like I always like to to see other people doing that because sometimes I I definitely get you know, I, I love the classics as well. So you yeah, know, it's like this, this tug of war between like wanting to do something classic and also wanting to, you know, mix it up a little bit. So I, I think- feel
1: like for me, my husband like hates Thanksgiving and he's <laughs> like, I don't know. And I love Thanksgiving because we would always host it at my, um, at my house growing mm-hmm. up. And so that's why, like, I've been trying to do like Other types of food Mm -hmm. um, than just the classics, but I need my like sweet potatoes with marshmallows,
0: and so (laughs) I'll do that. But then I'll also have like one classic dish. (laughs) Yeah, no, I like that. I have to. I mean, I have to have green bean casserole. But I mean, I like make it myself, not like with all the cans. But I don't know. Even if I'm the only one eating it, you know, more for me, I'll just eat the whole (laughs) pan. (laughs) But uh, no, that's what the holidays are about, right? Yeah, eating all the foods and uh, spending time with loved ones. So. Uh, we're going to finish things off with a little rapid fire round. And then we have one final question for you here on Food Network Obsessed. Okay. All right. So rapid fire questions. What was the first thing you ever learned to cook? Rice. (laughs) And still, (laughs) and still to this day, lots of that, right? But not in a rice cooker. My mom did it old school on a stovetop. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, All right. This one's inspired by one of your recent Instagram collaborations. How would you make a dinner for two with just $10? Oh, (laughs) Danny Grubbs. Um, Yeah, that was fun. The problem was we
1: went to H-Mart, right? And so H-Mart, you can't break stuff up into Mm. like, Small pieces, like you can't buy. You have like they package everything. That's how they get you. They want as much as I love H Mart, um, <laughs> but but I, I I always think that stews are a really good way mm-hmm. to not spend a lot of money because those cuts are like harder and cheaper. Um, they're t- sorry, they're tougher. So they you have to cook them um, for a long time to get tender, but they're also cheaper cuts of beef or chicken or whatever or pork. So I would do a stew, and then you can serve it with rice. <laughs> of course. add some vegetables in there, and it's like a one pot dish and I think yeah, I mean I could definitely feed a family of probably
0: well, me and my husband eat for four, so yeah, <laughs> there you go. <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: What are some pantry staples that you always get at the grocery store? Uh garlic,
1: I have to have I use a lot of garlic, like a lot a lot of garlic, uh, fish sauce. Palm sugar, limes are huge. Herbs, any type of herbs. Uh, doesn't have to be Asian herbs. Coconut milk, rice,
0: <laughs> <laughs> soy sauce, uh, and chilies. And chilies. Mm-hmm. Uh, what is your favorite Asian supermarket in the city? I do like H Mart a lot.
1: I also like Hong Kong Supermarket down in Chinatown or because it has kind of everything I, mm-hmm. I need and has a huge selection. And then there's this... Vietnamese store it's called Tantin or Tintin I always mess it up it's on Bowery um and they have a lot of Vietnamese ingredients which mm-hmm.
0: is great and mm-hmm. then and then non um Asian supermarket, of course, Trader Joe's, because I, I see you there all the time. Or I see you I, on Instagram. Yeah. <laughs> I love
1: Trader Joe's. The only thing that's annoying about Trader Joe's is like you can't get everything you need True. on like your grocery list. So it's like you have to you know that you're going to two stores. When,
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Most used kitchen tool in your house? My air fryer. Is that mm-hmm. a tool or is yeah. that a piece of equipment? Oh, uh, sure. I, I mean, mean either obviously,
1: way. I use my I use my knife um, all the time and mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but I use my air fryer.
0: Like I love day. my air fryer. I yeah. love it. <laughs> <laughs> must tries on the menu at pig and cow. Um, uh, must tries at the menu on pig and cow, cow soy,
1: mm-hmm. um, sisig, which is a sizzling pork head dish. We just put on these Filipino skewers. Um, So traditionally, kare kare is a braised oxtail, but I decided to do it as skewers instead. It's not oxtail. um, And because it's kind of like it's a peanut sauce. So it's Mm. kind of like a satay reminds me of like a satay sauce in in some way. So that's new. And then we are putting Thai boat noodles on um,
0: on the menu next week. So that is one of my favorites. All right. Be on the lookout. Um, All Mm -hmm. right. Most important part of cooking rice is what? So I'm going to say what's not the most important. Okay, That works, too. That works, too.
1: (laughs) Everyone. And I'm going to get so much, so much crap for it. Washing and rinsing your rice. I don't do it. Really? I do not. And (laughs) My mom thinks I'm gross for it and I don't care. I like the starch and I don't think it makes a difference. I mean, I actually think that it makes when I. My rice comes out perfect when I don't rinse it. Okay. When I rinse it, and if I'm being like fast and lazy, and I don't completely drain all of the excess water, it gets it's a little soggy. Mm. Um, And yeah, I have not been rinsing my rice for years now, and it's (laughs) delicious.
0: (laughs) I'm gonna try that next time. Make rice. All right. Complete this sentence. I feel most successful when blank. Uh
1: When I can get through the day being a mom and also going to work and not being in a bad mood <laughs>
0: <laughs> I think that that's a win for for most parents so uh, very well said all right our final question here on Food Network obsessed we ask everybody this question It is not rapid fire. you can take as long as you want, and there are no rules for this question. so the question is what would be on the menu for your perfect food day? Breakfast, lunch, dinner, and dessert. We want to hear what you're eating for all of those meals. And you can travel, time travel. Anyone can cook these for you, living or dead. As I said, there's no rules. Calories don't count. All, I was all the good just stuff. Say, do calories count? <laughs> no, Absolutely. Calories not. don't count.
1: <laughs> okay. Um for breakfast. Everything's gonna bring me back to Thailand. <laughs> <laughs> of course. <laughs> okay. Um Are we going so when, to Thailand for this breakfast? Uh, yes. Okay. We are. Good. Um so. When I was living in Thailand uh, at that flat, there was this street stall um, that was right down the road from me. And they had uh, a noodle soup that I would eat probably four times a week uh, Mm. for breakfast. And it's called Tom Yum noodle soup. But Mm. Tom Yum is different than what everyone thinks. Tom Yum only really means that it has to have like, like it has to be like acidic, salty. um, And it is so it's not like the traditional Tom Yum with like, the tomatoes mm-hmm. and the mushrooms and the shrimp. It's not like that. Um, and so there's, uh, it's rice noodles, but you could pick whatever noodles you want. And then there's all these different balls in there. Mm. So there's like shrimp balls, pork balls, like this tofu thing, a fried, like a fried wonton. There's all these like different like things that you um, put on the side. And then there's like a canister on the side where it's like the sugar the salt, um, sorry, the sugar, the fish sauce, the chili flakes, the pickled chilies. So I would add all of that in there. And right next to it, there's a vendor that sells orange juice. Ooh. And I don't know if you've had like, I call it crack juice. It's <laughs> like the best orange juice you could possibly have. And they squeeze it fresh. And I, those two combined, it's like everything. Oh, wow.
0: Yeah. That sounds and amazing. And I love
1: eating it when it's
0: like 95 degrees and you're just sweating. <laughs> you're just sweating through the whole thing. You're just That's sweating. why you have the orange juice, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right, what's for what's for lunch? <sighs> okay, lunch. What is for lunch? I'm
1: trying to think. Like I don't want everything to be Thai, even though it like pretty much should be. No, my dinner won't be Thai. Um. Okay, so. There is this place in Thailand or in Bangkok called Soy. If you might have seen it on Andrew, one of Andrew Zimmern's shows, mm. um, I actually found out about it through him. Um, and it's kind of like 30 minutes on the outskirts of Bangkok. Um, and it is just, they have the best uh, yam kai dao, which is a fried egg salad. It's not really a salad, but it's <laughs> whatever. Um, In their minds, they call it a salad and it's a deep fried egg, but it still has like a runny yolk. So like the whites are all really nice and mm. crispy. And then it has like Raw garlic, raw shallots, a dressing of lime juice, fish sauce, chilies. um, There's white pepper on there um, and some herbs. And you eat that with a bowl of rice. And it's amazing.
0: Wow. I think my stomach stomach just growled. I'm not sure (laughs) if you heard it. And then dinner and dessert.
1: Dinner and dessert, I'm going to bring it back to my childhood. Uh, So every year for my birthday, I would eat at this pizza place in um, in Westchester. It's called Johnny's Pizzeria in Mount Vernon. The barstool guy gave it like a nine point three. Oh, wow. Um, So it was it's really good. And. I am obsessed with it. And I've been, I mean, pizza is literally my favorite thing to eat. I know (laughs) that it is not that fancy, but like if I could eat, like I just, I love pizza. Yeah, yeah, it's great. (laughs) Um, So that pizza and for dessert, um, what I would do is uh, Haagen-Dazs ice cream. (laughs) (laughs) What flavor? I love coffee ice cream. Okay. Yeah, I'm very, like, I don't know if that's basic or not, but that is, like, that's been my favorite ice cream flavor since I was probably, like, six seven years old. And that's what I do for my birthday every year. I get a Haagen-Dazs ice cream cake and I eat pizza.
0: And <laughs> I will continue that tradition for as long as I'm alive. <laughs> I mean, that sounds like a pretty amazing birthday tradition. Um, I'll definitely have to check that out next time I'm in uh, Westchester. Thank you so much for taking the time and chatting. It was so great catching up with you. We'll have to to go to Zap Zap again uh, sometime soon. They have one in Williamsburg now, so we can go there. Oh, they do? Yeah, like a seafood one so oh yeah yeah let's yes. go there all right okay for sure uh, all right it's a date
1: <laughs> <laughs> thank you leah thank you
0: I am loving these holiday editions of Be Bobby Flay and cannot wait to watch Leah on the finale only on Food Network, December 13th at 9 p.m. Eastern. Make sure to follow us wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss a thing. And if you enjoyed today's episode, please rate and review. We love it when you do that. That's all for now. We'll catch you foodies next Friday.